Hey everyone, Joel McLean here from Inspire Leadership Coaching and welcome to another episode of This Is a Leadership Podcast. So as I'm recording this, uh, the episode will be published on January 6th on this coming Friday. So I hope everybody had a really great holiday with their families, a, you know, a great Christmas and a great New Year's. And I wish nothing but, you know, good things and growth for you all in 2023. So this is actually part three of a five-part series showcasing the book Disrupt the Status Quo, and I'm really happy to have Christine Revesi-Weinstein on the show. She is a fantastic person. I just I really appreciated her honesty and her vulnerability uh, in this episode, so I am sure that you guys are going to love it. Please share the episode with your friends and your colleagues, and make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to This is Leadership, a podcast dedicated to bringing you insightful conversations with leaders that inspire us to be better and to go further. I'm your host, Joel McLean, and I am very excited to have you here with us today. Now, let's get to today's episode and get our leadership on. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of This is Leadership, your intersection between growth and leadership. And today, folks, continuing on the study of the book Disrupt the Status Quo or conversations based on the book with the authors. I am so happy this part four episode here today to welcome Christine Ravesi Weinstein. Did I say that right? You did. Christine Ravesi <laughs> Weinstein, right on. So Christine is currently or currently serves as a high school assistant principal in Massachusetts, US, and has previously worked as a high school science department chemistry teacher right here, Christine, by the way, science nice. department chair for four years and classroom teacher for 15. Diagnosed with anxiety and depression at 23, Christine began her journey towards mental wellness. She began a nonprofit organization in June of 2017 aimed at removing the stigma of mental illness and promoting physical activity, love that as well, as a means to cope with anxiety. As an avid writer and educator, Christine became passionate about bridging the two with her advocacy for mental health. Since March of 2019, she has had numerous nationally published articles, including the number one most read article of 2019 on eSchool News. She has also published articles with District Administration, the Teach Better Team, Tech and Learning, and also Smart Brief. But let's not forget here, Christine, that you are also an author. Many books, a few books yeah. anyways. So you are the author yep. of the books Anxious, uh, as well as Fighting Your Inner Voice. And of course, for everybody that's watching on YouTube, Disrupt the Status Quo. And this is the one here that we're going to be talking about today. So Christine, Excellent. It's a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate you um, you doing this. It's an honor to be here. Um, and you know, I think every time I hear the book mentioned or you talk about my co-authors, I kind of wonder how I got, you know, connected with such an amazing group of uh, educators and how they, yeah. they asked me to be a part of their project. It's really humbling. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, it can't possibly be real, <laughs> but uh, I guess it is. Absolutely. So. And you know what? I'm a firm believer of, of Providence, right? Things happen for a reason. So people come mm -hmm. into our paths for a reason. And I think that uh, definitely, you know, what you guys have produced with Disru Disrupt the Status Quo, 
um, you know, the impact that you're having that I'm seeing on social media. Uh, the sales are speaking for themselves. I think you guys uh, yeah. are like top five, if not still the number one. I didn't check in the last couple of days, but I'm sure that <laughs> if I if I go back to Twitter, I'll, I'll be able to find it pretty quick. So just the impact yep. that you guys have been having with the book has been phenomenal. And the reason why, you know, when I seen it and I picked up a copy and read it, I said, you know, I have to do something with the podcast to be able to highlight the book. And so here we are, part four yeah. of the five-part series. So you are the last author to be interviewed on the podcast. And then uh, hopefully we'll be able to get everybody together for one final show and one final recording and then get a few last thoughts and and go with that. So it's really good to have you here, Christine. And it, and it's great getting to know you as well. We were talking before yeah. we started recording how, you know, we're hockey people, you know, both our kids uh, are elite hockey players and not mine were, and we're talking about how, you know, how time flies. It doesn't seem like it does when we're in the moment, <laughs> but uh, at some point, and you said you were starting to notice how as they get older, it seems like, uh, it seems like, you know, they get a little bit further away and we struggle to find you know, more time or quality time to be able to spend with them. But uh, the kids sure do keep us busy, don't they? They absolutely do. Um, I, I mean, I might be able to write ten more books if I didn't have kids, but I think that would get kind of lonely. <laughs> oh my goodness, um, absolutely! But yeah, they're they're awesome. They keep me grounded, which uh, you know is is wonderful, and they make me uh, not sweat the small stuff. So yeah, exactly. Right. Said about that. And we're mm -hmm. going to talk and we're going to talk about that actually a little bit further. I've, yeah. One of the things that stood out to me is actually, you know, how kids perceive the world and how when we get old, I, we'll get into it there. I don't want to spoil yeah, it absolutely. for everybody that's listening to us. So uh, I read uh, a little bit of your your biography, Christine, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and we know that the kids are, are in sports and you do have uh, you do have some children. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself? You know, maybe your, your two children, their names and their ages. And okay. I know I want to get into this because it's a it's a big part of my routine in my life as well. I know that you're into fitness and that's something that's really uh, yeah. important to you. I see your posts on running. So tell us a little yeah. bit more about yourself so that the the people listening to us yeah. today can get to know you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, professionally, I think uh, that you did a great job with the intro, really summed me up. You know, I'm right now, this is my 20th year in education. That seems wow. to surprise a lot of people. Um, you know, I spent the first 15 as a teacher and department head towards the end. And then yeah. this is my fifth year as a full-on administrator. Um, when I started being a full-time administrator back in 2018, I met um, my co-author, Dr. Matthew X. Joseph. Okay. Um, and uh, we took to a really good friendship kind of right off the bat. We had a lot in common and, you know, he knew about my nonprofit and he was the one that was like, Hey, have you ever thought about like taking what you do in your nonprofit and like writing about it from like an educational lens mm. and like how you can service kids with anxiety and education. And I was like, people want to read that stuff. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not really sure. And mm. so he kept kind of like pushing cause he was already doing a lot of that stuff outside of his day job. Um, and so he really encouraged me to take, take a risk, which has become sort mm. of my tagline. Um, and so I started writing and, uh, as he will attest, uh, my success is not common in that, you know, most people, when they start writing, they don't, they don't get as many articles sort of picked up for publication yeah, right away. Yeah. And, and so I would get discouraged really quick and he would always have to remind me like, 
you've already accomplished way more than some people have been doing this for years and they've not, you know, landed a book deal or whatever. So yeah, yeah. that's kind of like how my journey into, to, that's like my professional life, you know, my mm. personal life, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about it, diagnosed with anxiety in my early twenties. Yep, yep. Um, it's not that I didn't have it prior to that. I, I clearly did. Um, you know, in both the book, Anxious and Fighting Your Inner Voice, I, I talk a little bit about that anxiety as a youth. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I really struggled with kind of like my identity and who I was and, and you know, uh, weird things. Well, not weird, yeah. but things people don't talk about, like concepts yeah. of beauty and concepts of, you know, athleticism and, and these kinds of things. And, um, you know, I, I kind of eventually landed on my feet, <laughs> which which was quite the journey. Um, you know, I, I met someone at, at my first job, we got married, um, two beautiful kids, which you mentioned, my uh, son is nine, his name is Nathan, my daughter is six, her name is Rory. Um, and I spend a ton of time with them. Uh, I work out a lot. I like to write, do these kinds of things. Um, that's really like kind of me in a nutshell, I'm not too complicated. I'm a pretty straightforward, simple person. Um, I think my my thoughts get a little complicated with yeah. Yeah, yeah. the anxiety, right? <laughs> but like um, in terms of what I need to feel myself, which has taken me 42 years to figure mm, out, and that's mm, part of the journey. Mm. Um, what I've discovered is it's really straightforward and simple. Um, and, you know, I think that's what I talk about in the work that I do. Um, yeah. And I think uh, it's simple, but I think it resonates with people because we feel like it needs to be more complicated than it really doesn't. So Yeah, we do do that to ourselves. We always tend to <laughs> overcomplicate things, overthink. We keep looping in these yeah. thoughts. And uh, mm -hmm. so I can understand that definitely. But, you know, being diagnosed, of course, uh, you know, you had to make sure that you you started putting in, you know, the processes and, and the habits that would be, you know, that, that would help you, you know, um, overcome you know some of those obstacles yeah and, and you know it's it's not the same for every person right, that's right. and that's so right. that's a that's the journey so it's like okay i've i've got this i know what it is how do i get to a place where i can I can live um a, a successful life where you know i can be challenged and not succumb to the anxiety and i can still get out there i mean it's not been a smooth road and there are still yeah. bumps but um, to be able to figure out what works for me. Um, and sharing my story is actually one part of like what I need. I think, um, you know, when, when you live in it and you don't share it, it festers, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so like, um, you know, I like helping others, uh, cause I want others to be helped and be successful, but there's also a self-serving part. Like that's part of my, coping as well i love that because it's you know i'm listening to you listening to you talk christine and it's basically like you know when i think about my own growth journey right it's 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 putting in processes putting in the right habits yep. and, and and meeting the right people and surrounding myself with the right people and it you know i'm hearing a sim similar process because really okay you're diagnosed with anxiety right but at this and at the same time it's is is you're putting these things into place and you know you're exercising and and you're working on that growth mindset you're taking risks you're you know you're telling your story those are all parts of you know the intentional yes. things you're putting into place not only to help you manage that uh you know that anxiety but also to help you grow yeah yeah i mean people ask me like so 
should I go on medication? Um, you know, should I do therapy? Uh, do you think I should walk every day? I'm like, look, like I do all those things. Like yeah. I'm medicated. I do therapy once a week still. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my friends make fun of me because my routine, I'm so strict with my routine. Like right down the same time I wake up every day, my exercise routine, you know, when I eat, what I eat, time I go to bed, how much water I drink. Like people are like, why are you so, I'm like, because if I go, if I veer off, like if my physiology is off, then my emotional um, health becomes off. It's yeah. so interconnected. Yeah. Um, and so I tell people like explore all the options because it's a cocktail of things um, and it's not going to be any one thing. You got to try things and see what that cocktail is and what works. Exactly. And so, and sometimes with time that cocktail can, it can end up changing as well. So, you know, but maybe later it won't. So I think it's a great yeah. segue into, into the first, you know, we're going to dive into the book, not disrupt the status yep. quo. Ooh, here it is again for the people that are watching <laughs> on, on YouTube. Um, so in the introduction, uh, and it comes back to a little bit, what you were talking about, you know, when you were struggling with things through high school, when it came to, you know, um, uh, when it came to, uh, you know, how you looked and, and things like that and how you were, yeah. how you thought people were perceiving you in the introduction, yeah. you talk about, you know, desire, how we fight the desire to be accepted and versus the desire to be ourselves. I th I thought like that yeah. jumped out at me because I thought of, I thought of my first year as a principal way back in 2006, I've been a school principal since 2006 and, um, and and I remember starting on the job and, and a little bit like teaching, right? We'll we'll often teach how we were taught and you know we yeah. have administrators throughout our careers and and you'll you'll you know you'll keep a few pieces from them and then think that that's the best way to do it. But you know, I quickly realized that I was I was actually I, I had that kind of a battle inside inside of me. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? You know, the desire yeah. to be accepted versus the desire to be ourselves. Um, so when I was young, it was actually really like superficial. Okay. Um, so, you know, uh, growing up, I was a complete tomboy, right? I had yeah. three older brothers. I was an athlete. Um, I grew up, you know, in a household that I, I think maybe at the time we were considered like middle income, but like we really weren't, um, you know, we weren't impoverished but we didn't have a lot of money. So like I got hand-me-downs. Well, I had three older yeah. brothers, so I'm wearing like, yeah. <laughs> I'm wearing like, Boston Celtics t-shirts with yeah. like Larry Bird on it. Right. Anyway. So I had very short hair when I was a little kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I just, that's what I did. And so, you know, I got teased and made fun of a lot um, because of the way I looked um, yeah. and because I was a tomboy and, you know, uh, she's gay, you know, she wants to yeah. be a boy, all the things that like are just awful. Um, and so by the time I got to high school, I couldn't stand, kind of the bullying anymore so I grew my hair out because okay. I felt like that's what I needed to do to be accepted so very superficial thing but for me was um very symbolic mm. right so I grew my hair out um and I had long hair um up until senior year in, in high school and okay. I hated it I hated it because it's not <laughs> who I identified as like it mm. just wasn't how I felt so like I kind of cut it a little bit shorter and I did this kind of like bob thing through college um and then one of my childhood friends asked me to be in her wedding. Okay. Um, and I tell this story in my book, Fighting Your Inner Voice. And so I had never been in a wedding before. I was like, okay. yes, this is great. Like, this is awesome. 
Um, and so I was going to have to wear a dress, which is something I never did as a kid. Like mm. I just didn't, I wasn't comfortable. Um, and so we went bridesmaid dress shopping um, with all <laughs> okay. the bridesmaids and yeah, the bride. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so, um, you know, again, I had short ish hair, you know, it wasn't, wasn't really long. I couldn't put it up. Let's put it to you that way. Like I okay. couldn't put it in a ponytail. So it wasn't um, like the big eighties hair there. It was, it was no, more it Bob, Bobby nineties like, there. So. Yeah. It was like to here. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I could like pin it back, but like I, there was no yeah. ponytail that yeah. we had. Okay. okay. Um, and so, you know, she said a really, um, really awful thing to me in the car um, where she said, you know, Christine, can you draw your, draw, can you grow your hair out? Cause all the other bridesmaids are going to have like this updo thing. Wow. Um, and you won't be able to. And then she called me, um, you know, something very homophobic, mm, uh, mm, after that. Mm. So that was a huge turning point for me in my life. Mm. Um, I went to the hairdresser, I asked him to cut up all my hair. So now I have a complete short haircut yep. and I've had it ever since that was, God, I couldn't remember the exact date. I do remember it was April, um, probably of like, oh, wait, April 20, 2008, wow. like okay. back then, maybe yeah. a little bit later yeah. than that. Yeah. I don't know, around there, give or take a couple of years. And I never looked back. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to please people, but like, why am I going to sacrifice myself? Um, and then as I got older and had kids, I really started to, to, to understand what beauty was. I understood mm. um, what made me comfortable. Um, that whole like beauty's on the inside bullshit that they tell you when you're a little <laughs> yeah. kid. Yeah. Like, let's yeah. face it, right? Like when yeah. you're a little kid, yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah you, you say that the crust is the best part of the pizza because you try to get me to eat it. Right? Yeah, like, exactly. It's not really the best part. Um, <laughs> but what I realized that statement meant is that what makes a person beautiful is what resonates from the inside out, right? And so if I walk Absolutely. with confidence, whether my hair is blonde or brown or short or long, none of that matters. It's what my expression is. It's how I carry myself. Um, and so when I started to feel that way personally, I started to glow more at work and I became a better educator because I nice. no longer cared about how everyone else expected me to be. Mm -hmm. I cared about what I wanted to do because it's how I felt, what made me feel good, who I believed I was. And um, it, my world changed. Yeah. <laughs> it changed for the better in a lot of ways. And it changed for the worse in some ways too, because with that, as the book talks about, when you make a drastic change like that, you're going to get a lot of people that feel like empowered and like, this is amazing, but you're going to get a lot of haters too. Mm, yeah. And that's why we often don't do it because we worry about the backlash. Um, and there was a lot of backlash for me, but I kept going, right. Yeah, I kept going yeah, forward. Yeah. And I'm really happy that I did because obviously, I mean, it sounds trite, but I wouldn't be where I am now if I didn't, if I was still a brown haired, long haired girl, you know, like, no makeup, just, you know, not wearing heels to yep. work. If I was yep. that person that I was 25 years ago, we wouldn't be talking right now. I know that for sure. Yeah. You know, often it takes, uh, you know, it takes an event eh, for us to realize, to, to shake us up and, or just to make a decision and say, you know what, I need to stop this and I need to be myself. And it's, yep. first of all, it's way too much work not being yourself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It it's is. Like, it's uh, so much work. It's, it's too stressful. much work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's too much work and too much worrying. And, but it, it's so, it's so true when you say that, you know, 
often we won't take a risk or we won't do something. And I can think of some things right now that are going through my mind throughout my career as an educator, not just a school principal, but as a classroom educator as well of things that I didn't try, uh, you know, out of fear of what people would Mm -hmm. think or the impressions or, and when you actually think about it often, and this is a great question for the, for the people that are listening, you know, I want you to think about, Whenever, you know, there was a time when you you would have wanted to say something or do something, but you were afraid of the reaction. Now, the the reaction, the people that would have given you backlash, you know, what is the percentage of those people? Like, is it because in my experience, often it's like it represents about 2%, <laughs> you know, the ones that speak the loudest right. and have the biggest personalities. It, it'll feel like there's 25 of them, but there's actually it's actually a minority. Right. So often, mm-hmm. you know, when we think through it and we're like, oh, you know what? If I wear the, the, you know, the, the pluses and, and the, the, the minuses, you know, not only am I losing out, but maybe by not, you know, going forward or being myself or, you know, proposing something in the long run, a whole bunch of other people that surround me are going to, are going to miss out. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It's, it's, and you know, it's one of the things we talk about perception, right? The yeah. perspective that you That's have right. on things. You know, one of the things for me through therapy, you know, early on when I started therapy that my therapist said to me that I'm like, damn, like that, you know, we're so worried about what other people think of us. Yeah. We're so worried about it. Right. Like it's just a natural fear. We want to be loved and accepted. Right. Mm -hmm. We're social. We're social beings. That's right. But what we don't realize is that while we're like, we're sitting there so worried about what everybody else thinks because we think they're thinking of us. No, they're not. They're thinking of themselves. They're just as worried about what everybody thinks of them. They don't have time to worry about you. Right. And I was like, Oh my God, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. (laughs) And so like, that was a turning point for me where I'm like, why am I putting so much stock in what other people think uh, when all that, I got to live with me. That's right. right? What do, what do I think? Um, and, and it's not easy. I mean, we talk about it, like we've got it all figured out and that that's, I still have my moments of complete self doubt and, oh, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. lack yeah. of confidence or Absolutely. whatever it might be. I had but, some today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, the, uh, you know, and I, I, I had some last week towards the yeah. end where, you know, I had made a decision at work that yeah. wasn't, uh, favorable, um, towards everybody that I work with. And, Mm. you know, I had this moment where I'm like, damn, you know, I I really thought I knew how to do this job. Like I really thought that I was confident and I could make decisions that were going to please everybody. And it was sort of like it, it brought me back down to reality. Um, But what made the difference for me was to be able to sit with my boss and say, yeah, I made that decision. This, this is why given what I knew, this is why I made the decision. I stand by it. Yeah. But I also understand your perspective. And next time that will weigh a lot more in my decision making. And my yeah. boss was like, okay, that's really what we want to hear. So yeah. Can you imagine I, how- years ago, I wouldn't have had the confidence to admit that perhaps I made the wrong decision, but now it's like so much easier to be like, yeah, maybe I did make the wrong decision because there's other perspectives than my own. Yeah. Well, exactly. Right. And you, you know, heaven, heaven forbid, if we never made any mistakes, I think life would be pretty boring. That's for sure. We wouldn't be we, we wouldn't be working in the buildings. We we'd be working because if we knew everything right off the bat uh, when we're right. born, there wouldn't be any schools. But right. you know, it makes me think what you're saying. Um, you know how how you have to do it for you first, right? It's the same con. It's the same concept as the, as the oxygen mask in the plane, right? If that oxygen mask mm-hmm. drops, you got to put it on you first. 
right? Before you, you can help other people. And the same goes with your happiness, same goes with your growth, same goes. And I think that one of the reasons why we we have that guilt um, or we, we have that inner struggle is because we want to please, right? We want to please others. We want them, you yeah. said, it, we want them to be happy. We want them to be comfortable. We don't want them to feel awkward and all this stuff, but it starts with us. You got to put that oxygen mask on yourself first yeah. right? before you do yep. it to other people. Right. And I, you know, I'm the one that's going to lay my head on the pillow at night. Right. And so exactly. Um, as long as I can explain my rationale um, and as long as I am able to say, like, I totally see your perspective, like, I'm okay with that. I'll, you know, consider it next time. I'll make a better, you know, a different decision next time. I think that's really all anyone can ask of us. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, I think, I don't think anyone else is expecting perfection from us. I think we expect it from ourselves, but we, we, we project that we're like, well, you expect me to be perfect. No, 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 no. I, you know, I'm expecting myself to be perfect and I need to give myself grace. That's been like my motto this fall is give mm. yourself some grace, right? Like yep. it's okay to not have it all figured out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in, in a sense, and you guys touch on it, touch on it in the book, I think we're the part of it is we're a program like that, right? We talk about school and this thought about, and that's in the failure part as well. I think of the book, yeah. we're going to get into that now where, you know, what is it about school that makes us think that we should know how to do something after seeing it once I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. That's what you wrote in the book. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 That's and what, that's what you're about. talking about. So, you know, we, we grew up and we went through that, that system as well. So I don't know if we were a little, you know, conditioned that way a little bit. And now we're realizing different things as we get older and we experience different things and we connect with different people that make us see different points of views. But it's interesting that you're talking about that and how, you know, if we're realizing it now as adults and we're in the school systems, well, should we make our students wait till they're 43, 50, yeah. they're going to be 50 to realize it? Or should we help them realize it before? I know. I mean, like I think of like my childhood and everything about my childhood was trying to avoid failure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like in school, in sports, everything, but like everything about adulthood is failing. <laughs> Try to pick yourself back up. <laughs> like it's the exact opposite. Right. Like, you know, in the book, I talk about the analogy of learning how to ride a bike. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, if, that's when right. we learn how to ride a bike, we did it like in school. We all would have gotten on the bike, failed and never picked up the bike again. Yeah. We did it once. So that's not how right. it works. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like in, in the way it would have been done in school is is that we would have uh, watched someone else do it. Mm-hmm. We would have been able to repeat the steps of how to do it. But then we would have gotten on the bike and we still wouldn't have been able to do it. Right. Because that's something that's all about feel. You just yeah. got to keep doing it until you figure out balance. Yeah. Um, but in real life, you know, that's not how it works. You get on the bike, you ride, you fall over, you get on the bike, someone holds the seat until they let go. And then you realize they've let go and then you fall, right? Like there's this whole process that involves failing, failing again, learning a little bit, failing again, figuring out a different thing, failing again, fail- right? I mean, my son's an elite hockey player. He can put on a pair of skates and just yeah. go out there and start skating around. Like yeah. it was all about failing. You know, I do this with my body. I fall. Okay. I got to learn how to stay on this edge, whatever it is. Um, But we're so, we're so afraid of our kids failing, you know? Um, And I hate the word too, because it has such a negative connotation, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't like fail forward. It's like, you you know, it's, it's not that you 
fail to me failure is like there's such an ultimate feeling to it yeah there's an ending it's a finality yeah there's a finality to it right but like like in the end you don't fail at bike riding you know you fall off and then eventually learn how to ride a bike like that's what we're doing here um and i think we as educators got to be okay with failing you know um we look at like the evaluation system, how teachers are evaluated and teachers don't want to take risks because they're so afraid they're going to fail the evaluation. Like, no, try something new. Like all we care as administrators is that you're trying to grow. Well, that's what it is. Right. And that evaluation to me as an administrator from, you know, I didn't always think of it that way, but you know, I progress and I evolved. And for many years, you know, that evaluation and I would, and I would tell the teachers or the people that was evaluating, this is just like a snapshot of your journey of getting better yeah. all the time, right? So, and that's how you got to say it. It's all about the, the way we see failure, right? And I think a good lesson could be that we can learn and it came a little bit in your part in failure is, you know, how kids see, it's funny how failure, we have an issue with it as we get older. Kids, we'll see them in, in JK, in kindergarten and grade one. It's it's amazing. Yeah. They don't care. <laughs> you know, they'll, they they'll care. fall. They don't care. They won't look around and see, you know, who who saw me fall or, but it's yeah. funny, you know, why is it that, you know, kids when they're younger, it's not a big deal, but then all of a sudden, you know, I, I guess it's, it's an awareness yeah. thing. I think it's because in the, in the end, they, there's just a, I think kids, there's a goal, there's something they want to do and they're just solely focused on that. Yeah, and they yeah, shut yeah. everything else out. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how many, times it takes like they're going to get that like it's the same thing when they fuss because they want a piece of candy right like they're not worried about what their fussing looks like to everybody else because they just want that candy so when my son's learning how to skate he doesn't care how silly he looks falling because he just wants to learn how to skate but as we get older we start to realize like there's all these people around us we understand like judgment and we start to fear that yeah. And so it eliminates the beauty of curiosity and the beauty of, you know, wanting to learn and try new things, you know, exactly. That's um, exactly. why it's so much easier to learn things when you're younger, not just because you're more pliable when you're younger, but like, because you don't know any better. Right. Yeah, when I, you get older, it's not just the fear of getting hurt. It's the no. fear of being laughed at. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It gets noisy, right? There's a whole bunch of noise that adds to it. And it's it's so much, like you said, the focus when you're young, it's so much, just, it's clearer. And it's just that yeah. the noise is gone. They're able to just t- get it up because in part, because maybe they don't know the noise is there, but eventually that's what we, yeah. that's what we, we find out is there and we start worrying about it. But I think that if, if we get to thinking about that and if we really, you know, be intentional about developing that mindset when it comes to and like you said, the word isn't good. Failure is really learning because if you're if you're failing, it means that you're learning because you you can't get it right off the bat the first time. Most things, anyways, I think some things maybe we'll get lucky, but most things is we're not gonna get it right away. So that means that we got to try again or we got to practice a little bit more. But when talking about schools, Christine, and and the failure, I'm gonna stay in there a little bit longer. Uh, what's your take on on assessments? Now I know that's a big question. <laughs> But when it comes to, you know, working on that, that, that mindset that we have out there about failure and how the finality of tests, just give me the mark, miss, just give me my mark. That's all. Don't tell me, don't give me, you know, feedback. I just want to know what my final mark was. So what's your take on, on assessments in schools today? So I, I really don't like standardized assessments. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I live in mass. And so our standardized assessment is, is referred to as the MCAS. 
Um, and so every every high school student needs to pass it in order to get a high school diploma, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what the issue that I had, in fact, I was just at my current job having a discussion about midterm exams and, okay. you know, how much should midterms weigh and should yeah. we even give midterms? And I'm like, I finally jumped in and I was like, what's the point of that? And everyone was like, well, so that they can get used to taking a big test. I'm like, no, <laughs> like they take a final exam. You can make that argument for the final exam. That's not what I'm asking. What's the point of a midterm? Well, cause you have midterms in college. I never had a midterm in college. <laughs> I had a final. I never once had a midterm, right? If, if the reason for the assessment is to get data for the teachers so that they can realize like, okay, kids struggled here. So we need to do more exactly. work and getting them to understand this standard. Like I'm all for it. Assessments have never used that way. No. Right. No. And like, I think that's what we need. You want some baseline data. You want to see how students are improving. You want to see how your teaching is improving. Let's do it. But that's not how it's done. I mean, even grading. It's, if you want to talk assessment, you got to talk grading, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I don't understand why are we grading out of 100? Because a zero and a 50 is the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. So what's yeah. the difference between a zero and a 50? Like, it's yeah. just whether the kid is mathematically out of it or still in it, right? Yeah, exactly. So, like, it's, and it's, it's all just, it's still subjective. You know, I, I would have teachers where I'm like, you know, okay, passing is a 60 and you gave the kid a 58. No, I didn't. That's what the computer gave them. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, wait, what? That's what he, that's what the computer spit out. Mm. Like, and I'm dumbfounded because if that's what I'm working with, like we have a long way to go. Absolutely. <laughs> right? We have a really long way to go. Yeah. You mean to yeah. tell me that that difference between failing and passing had nothing to do with the fact that it was midnight and it was the 57th lab report you were grading and yeah. you just didn't have anything left. Exactly. And you took points off because the lines weren't straight. And now <laughs> things, like, so very subjective. Um, Yes. Even numerical grading is very, very, very subjective, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I talk a little bit about failure um, in my AP class that I taught, my science course, and I talk yeah. about um, specifically like how I conducted labs, right? Um, yeah, in yeah. experiments and such. Um, but another thing I did with that class that I was really proud of that I didn't talk about in the book, but I easily could have is, is assessments and how we did assessments. So as an advanced placement course, the kids were all taking a standardized test at the end of the year. And so part of my job as their teacher is, of course, to prepare them for that assessment, right? Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. not the only thing that I needed to do in that course, but it's still something I had to do. So the tests that they would take in my class were formatted in the same way as that standardized okay. that okay. test. So they would take the test. And then after, they would come and sit down with me one-on-one. Um, -on -one, and we would go over every single question they got wrong. And instead of just passing back in what a lot of teachers might call like test corrections, because they don't learn anything from that. They just go to their classmate and they're like, what was the answer to eight? Yeah. They're like C, they write down C and they yeah. pass it in. Like, So I would make them come after school and they'd sit and we'd talk about each one of them. Okay, mm -hmm. so number eight, you got wrong. Why? And they'd be like, well, so I was thinking about it like this, mm. but now I understand that I should have thought about it like this. And the answer is this because of X, Y, and Z or whatever. And I'm like, awesome. That's great. Right. You know, the standard now you've gotten mm. it. 
And so their grade was a mix of how they did the first time and then how they did when they sat down with me. Right. Um, And that was an eye-opening experience as an educator and also for my students. My students stopped fearing tests. Mm. Um, They actually looked forward to the time they would spend with me after school talking about their exams. It's where they learned the most. Um, It was really eye-opening for me. And then it got me thinking, like, how can we do something like that in schools? Because it's so time-consuming, right? Have to well, sit that's, down. That's with the each biggest kid. issue, right? That's the biggest question you'll get from teachers: is that where where, where am I going to find the time to do that? But we, the, you know, there is. I know some teachers that do it, and they've got classrooms with you know thirty kids, twenty eight kids. So I think it is possible. Maybe not all the time for every student, but I think it is possible. And what you're speaking to, Christine, is competencies. That's what you were working on with your kids. And I and the biggest question: our our school board, uh, we're working with a with, with an expert. And uh, we're talking about evaluation and we're talking about direct instruction and stuff like that. And, and I think the biggest questions that I've been, that I've the biggest realization that I've made in the last, in the last two years, I'd say is, is, you know, what is the test? And you mentioned it, right? Is it, is it really a reflection of the student's learning from where he's at to where he, he is now, or is it a Mm -hmm. reflection of what I taught and what the student is able to just spit back out at me on a test? (laughs) Right. 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 Until you know what the objective behind the assessment is, you're never going to get the assessment right. Yeah. Right. Like you you have to know why and what you're testing in order for it to be effective. Yeah. And it's amazing when you get a group of teachers in a room and you ask them, they can't agree. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They all are going to say something different. Well, we're doing it for this reason. We're doing it for that reason or for this reason. You're like, what? Like if we can't even decide why we're doing it, why are the kids going to buy in? Yeah, exactly. And it, and that comes to, you know, you were talking about in, in that in that chapter, the failure chapter, problem solving versus problem answers, right? And I think it comes down yeah. to developing those competencies and those processes. And to get back to the comment of we're getting them ready for college and university, it's funny because that expert, you know, that 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 we're working with that I just mentioned, he's actually a university yeah. teacher. So okay. we, you know, we met with so our, with our, yeah, with our high school teachers and he just, he just told them straight out. He debunked that. He said, listen, he said, when the kids are coming into university and college, this is what we're looking for. We, we're, we want, we want students that know how to organize themselves. We want students mm-hmm. that can timetable. We want students that are able to prior, prioritize things with, you know, so he's naming off all of these competencies and not necessarily, you know, the content. We know that they're getting content. You know, are they going yeah. to remember everything that they learned? Most likely not, because it depends on how you taught it. But these are the things we're looking for in our students is, is based on competencies. Are they able to, do they know how to study? You know, do they know how to, how, right. to, how to make a lunch because they're going to be in residence or whatever, you know, not at home and fending for themselves? You know, do they know how to take notes? Do they know how to, it's, it's, these are the things that they're looking for in post-secondary and not necessarily these content elements in, right. in a exactly. test or final exam. Well, because the content element, if you can do all those competencies, then you can conquer any content element, right? And that and follows like, your whole life, right? Right. And, you know, in, in the book, I talk about the unit circle and yeah, how I would yeah, always yeah. get into it with my students about yeah, the damn unit circle, right? Yeah. Like that, like, and I tell them, like, I was as high achieving a math student as you can possibly get um, in the secondary level. And I don't know any of it. But what I do know is how to be successful. That's what those courses taught me, mm-hmm. how to organize, how to ask questions when you don't, how to advocate, like how to, 
you know, how to have pressure on you and rise to the challenge. Um, but kids don't, they don't understand that. They're like, Nope, I got to know what the cosine of three pi over two is. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, and having kids memorize things they can just look up is still something I don't understand. Like <laughs> why do chemistry teachers test kids on the periodic table? Yes, 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 yes. Like it's a table that you can look up like, there's a really big one on the wall in the class. <laughs> you know, right. I like, like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, yeah, why are we memorizing yeah. these things? Well, you know, you should really know one through 18. Well, yeah, but the more you use it, then you just remember it because you're using it all the time, all the time, all the time, right? Like, exactly. you have to sit there and rote memorize things. Like, it doesn't serve a purpose. Anything you can look up, it doesn't make sense to have to memorize it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's uh, it's crazy, but you know what? I think that we're making some leeway in the schools for sure when it comes to that. Anyways, there's a lot of oh, we are, yeah, a lot of conversations around evaluation and and you know competency, uh, you know, developing those competencies, uh, those skills within our, our students. But if we could jump into the perspective, uh, the perspective sure. part of the book, yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the things that that really stood out to me when talking about perspective was this, and I love the way that you said it: this obsession of being right. You know, we, yeah. talk, we talked about that, how, and I think he had given the example was in politics, right? Where, you know, some people, you know, they they have their, their favorite, uh, their favorite candidate in their party, but when talking to them, you know, the, the it's just what they say goes and we don't give a, a, a crap about the rest, but we don't care what you think about. I'm right. And that's it. So, you know, what is it with, um, you know, w- what are the possible consequences of not having that perspective or not, you know, wanting to even you know, learn or, I or think consider the, other perspectives. <laughs> when you don't consider other perspectives, you cannot grow. I mean, that's the bottom line. And if that's all that. learning is, it's just growing. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so if you fail to see the other perspective, you're, you're, you're crushing the learning process right from the get go. It's not even going to get started. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's what's really, really challenging for me. Like one of the things I notice at work that really gets me frustrated is when people have a lack of perspective, right? Like I don't, I don't need you to think I'm right. I just need you to be able to be like, oh yeah, I hadn't considered that. That's it. That's, That's all right. I need to hear from you. That's, right. That's it. That's just an acknowledgement that perhaps there's a different viewpoint. Um, you can still have your own viewpoint, but like you wouldn't want your kid, your your students or your own kids to make a decision without all of the information at the table first, right? Like, right? Like think about relationships, like as a parent, you know, I hope that my son and daughter, before they get into a relationship with someone, they're going to see everything, right? Like, they're yeah. not just going to have, like, blinders on and be like, yeah. well, you know, um, they pay for dinner every time we go out. So that's why I want to be with this person. Like, what? <laughs> like, there's so many other things that you need to consider, right? And we would we would give that guidance to our own child, like, before you date someone, consider everything. But right. when it comes to our students or our colleagues, we don't take that perspective. You know, yep. the perspective is like, I'm right. And I just, I can't, I can't work with people that are so beholden to their beliefs that they don't even want to consider it could be done differently. Yeah. I have so much trouble yeah. with that. That's a lot of uh, closed minded, right? Closed minded people that, you know, I've always said, uh, well, maybe not that way, but lately, um, you know, everyone that I meet knows something that I don't. So even though I can be yeah. talking about something and I think, and I know I've got the facts, I've got the science that backs it, whatever it is, I can think that I, that I'm hundred and hundred thousand percent right. But 
you know what? I I still want to hear hear that other person out because they might just say something that will say, hmm, okay, maybe I was right, but this opened my thinking up in in a different yeah. avenue that I didn't think of. But every, in my opinion, everybody that we meet every day knows something that we don't, so we can learn from them. Absolutely, absolutely. You're so you're so right about that. I mean, the story I talk about in the book is about my water jug. You yes, know, like the how water jug. Yeah, yeah. the water jug, which yeah. actually is not currently on the table. It's just right <laughs> I'm over surprised. there on the couch. No. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but like I, you know, it's so funny for me because I think that when I sat down to write that section of the book, there had been a lot of um, recent comments about my water jug because I just started yeah. a new job. So yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. and so I sat down and I wrote it, and now it's been a couple of months since I actually sat down to write it. And I am still getting comments about the goddamn water jug. <laughs> really? like it's just, it doesn't go away. It's like yeah. every new person is like, yeah. you've drunk that much water during the yeah. day. I'm like, yeah, Oh yeah. my God. Like, and it's so true. Cause I've, I've talked to people who read the book. They're like that part about if it were coffee is hundred percent. Right. If I saw someone walking around with that much coffee, I wouldn't think twice about it. That's, right? that's like, true. That's true. Oh yeah. I would resonate with it. Like I need that much coffee, but God forbid, the thing that sustains life <laughs> someone is engaging in, they're a freak, right? So it's in like when I present it that way, like, well, you know, I work out a lot. And so, you know, I got to drink a lot of water. They're like, oh, really? You do? It makes for like the most awkward conversation yeah. ever. Like, you know, it, you think we'd be talking about how we were like, uh, you know, conceived. That's how awkward yeah. the conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. is. We're yeah, talking yeah. about water people. Um, and you know, it's just, gosh, it's, it's amazing to me that in a world where we are working to embrace more diversity and different perspective, you start meeting people with fewer and fewer perspectives. Um, it's like a, it's a big irony, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, when I was growing up, um, there was more openness to perspective than there is now. Yeah, um, it's it's uh, we're we're centered on like uh, it's almost as if we we have blinders on. And it's really just our world, right? So we'll compare what's going on on the outside to to us. Well, right. I I don't drink a big jug of water like that. So what the heck's going on here? You know, like, why are you doing that? So it's that it's that. Oh, and it's 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 awesome when I meet someone else who does the same thing as me. They're like, hey. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. God, That's the big celebration there. Yeah, it's like we're like you guys like cheers, cheer the the like, jugs. Yes, yes. <laughs> or we're like compete. Like, how far through your jug are you today? You know, oh, it's geez, like that's funny. It's like we're an anomaly. You know, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's it's crazy. Um, yeah. And you know, it's it's again, um, it, it stops the learning process when yeah. you don't want to see another perspective or you become judgmental about a different perspective. Right? I like that. Like, Absolutely. Take a take. Yeah, take a step back consider it not asking you to change but consider it reflect on it and you know maybe you'll be like "Hmm, yeah that makes sense you'll learn something right yeah well every everything to gain and nothing to lose right so you might as well hear the (laughs) person out and they might surprise you you might end up like high-fiving and cheering that water jug with the other person so yeah you never know you never know you never do yeah so that's great christine and um there were there were two elements in the voice 
section of the book that I want to talk to you about. Uh, the okay. first one was when you talked about, you know, when you were young and uh, you you would you would get told, you know, that you need to be seen and not heard. And that just yeah. spoke to me. It just reminded me of the power <laughs> of, you know, of the of adult words that they can have on the kids. Right. So did you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, so it's funny because it seems like such like a little thing. Um, And I think when I was younger, uh, it upset me when I would hear that, but I didn't understand like the depth or the level of it. And it was only like, as I started my journey, learning about myself and my anxiety that I realized the impact that that one statement had on me um, as I got older, just having, uh, being afraid to speak up um, because feeling like my voice was not valued all because of. And the, and the thing that's crazy is like, I can understand, again, you want to talk about perspective. I can understand the sentiments behind that, that phrase. Mm. Really. It's like, we're adults here. We're talking, you know, this isn't a conversation for you. You should, you know, go yeah. over there and play. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so I completely understand that, but because it's said in the tone and the manner in which it is, it makes you feel like you don't have a voice at all. Yeah. Um, and that really, really impacted me. Um, and you're right. The the power of words when you're so young and impressionable um, at a time where I, I my curiosity shouldn't have been stifled. Mm. Um, it was absolutely stifled. Um, you know, it was a phrase that my mom would say to me. It was a phrase I remember, um, you know, like at family reunions, right? When yeah. the adults would be talking. Yeah. I was like, hey, you should be seen and not heard. Like that was... Yeah, it's a tough one for sure. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think we need to, you know, we need to definitely watch the words that we use because, you know, the kids are yeah. listening and they'll and and the the whole problem is not the fact that they don't understand the words is they don't understand always the context, right? So we'll say it in Correct. a way that adults understand because we're an adult, but it can have a, a whole other impact and on the child. So maybe we need to explain we, to the child a little bit more, you know, the Yeah, and you, we have to remember that kids are very literal right? Like yeah. very, very literal. Yeah. Like my mom used to say to me, like, Christine, put a lid on it. Yeah. <laughs> which meant like, shut up. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so I would like pretend to like take something and put it on my head because I was putting, a, I was literally putting a lid on it. Um, and so it's very hard. I think of it like idioms if you're learning a new language. Mm. So like, you know, you say, you say to someone like, uh, it's so hot I could fry an egg. Yeah, And they're like, well, why right. would you fry an egg outside? Like, it doesn't make any sense. They don't understand that it's just an idiom, right? Because yeah. when you're learning a new language, you're literal. You take everything literally. Um, and that's the problem with a statement like that, is that to a kid, it's like, I should literally be seen and never heard from. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and so I think we need to be careful with that. It goes to like not using sarcasm in a classroom, right? Because kids take it literally. It's the same Absolutely. idea. Um, and that can really negatively impact student voice and student voice is really what makes a classroom hum and we don't want to do anything to stifle that. Exactly. So, you know, we gotta, we gotta watch what we say, how we say it. And, you know, are we, are we explaining context, but you know, it's funny you're talking about student voice. That was the second piece that really stood out to me in, in the voice section of the book. And it's, you know, one of those things where, you know, but you don't realize it. And then when you yeah, read it, yeah. you're like, ah, oh, yeah, you know what? That's true. And it's like, wow, it's like a, just a little wow moment. And so it's when you said, you know, a voice, uh, voice isn't just verbal. 
Yeah, it's and true. it's so true. I thought about it, you know, all the times that we, when we talk about student voice and we're always thinking, you know, if they're speaking it or, or a survey or, but there's so many other yeah. different, you know, uh, formats of student voice. So I thought that was pretty, uh, it was pretty powerful when you talked about, you know, student Thank voice you. is not just verbal, but it's about communication and connection. Yeah, it really is. I mean, um, you know, we talk about building positive relationships in classrooms and connecting with our students, but, you know, a majority of communication is nonverbal. Yeah. And we've got to, if we're in tune with our students and we really have the relationships and the bonds that we claim we do, um, then we should be able to tell when a student is off or we should be able to tell through body language that a student is anxious or yeah. we should be able to tell that a student is dysregulated because, um, you know, of a behavior or whatever the case may be. And I think, again, we're so sometimes as teachers driven by like, I got to get through this content. I mean, how many times do you hear like, we're running out of time. We got to hurry this up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, well, yeah. what's more important, the content or the connection? And um, we we stifle student voice sometimes because of our own voice. And we mm. just like it's sage on a stage. Um, but we also stifle student voice because we fail to recognize and make connections with kids. Um, yeah. And those are going to be the loudest voices is all that nonverbal communication. And I think that I think that more more often than not, from what I've seen, you know, it's not this that isn't intentionally done. You know, it's really we've got some teachers that are well intentioned and and they think they're doing the best thing, but you know, maybe because we're not we're not uh, reflecting on that or not stopping, you know, long enough to be able to think about what's my impact when I'm doing you know this in in the classroom in terms of voice, we're just not realizing it. Right, a hundred percent. You know, yeah. or like a simple thing like that student that walks into class late. Right. And yep, they like yep. are trying to like come in quietly. They don't want to make a scene. And you're like, hey, you're late. Like, yeah, okay, exactly. You're not listening to that student <laughs> voice. Right. That student is like coming in coy because they don't want to make a spectacle. And you just made a spectacle. Yeah, exactly. You know? um, exactly. So like little things like that, um, I think we need to do a better job of in a classroom. You're so right, Christine. This has been a fantastic conversation. I'm loving every, every minute of it. Christine, I'm going to ask you the next question. Is a, I've, I asked okay. the same question to all of the authors, and I'm going to ask you now. So, of course, we're talking about disrupt the status quo. What does that mean to you, disrupt the status quo? That's a good question. Um, for me, disrupt the status quo, it literally means to kind of um, – push the envelope and do things differently than they're expected to be done. Um, so, you know, I say, take the risk. It's not about what yeah. if it goes wrong. It's about what if it turns out right. Taking the risk is disrupting the status quo. They're one and the same. Um, and so, you know, I hope that people read the book and the stories resonate, inspire them mm. to realize that we're not asking you to make huge change. We're not asking you to take massive risk. But what we are asking you to do is to realize that over the course of every day, we have opportunity to disrupt the status quo. Mm. Um, and we need to empower one another to do that because small changes can get can make big gains. Um, so that's really what it means for me. That's awesome. Glass half full all the time. Thank right? you. That's that's the uh, it's gotta that's be. the mindset. That's it's the mindset we got to have. I love it. I love it. So listen, Christine, for the people that are listening to us, uh, how can they reach you if they would want to get a hold of you? So the best way to reach me is through Twitter. Uh, my handle is just at Ravesi Weinstein. Um, they can, you know, direct message me um, or they can shoot me an email. It's just uh, C 
ravesiweinstein at gmail.com. Um, if they have any questions or they're curious about me or my other books, they can just go to my website, which is ravesiweinstein.com. Everything is there. Um, that's really the only social media stuff I do. As you can tell, I couldn't get my <laughs> AirPods to work. Uh, but you did that's about get it to work. You did get it to I work. Did. Yeah, I needed some serious awesome. guidance. Uh, but, you know, I uh, that's really all I can handle, you know, being a single mom and, yeah. you know, the full-time job and stuff. I can't, all these people that are on like Instagram and this and that, I'm like, yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. It's just too yeah. much. Well, for those of you that would like to get a hold of Christine, uh, we will link up all of those uh, different ways that you can do it uh, on our website. So just head on out to inspireleadership.ca in the podcast section, and we will have this, a few show notes with uh, Christine's uh, information. If you'd like to, to get a hold of her, you go ahead and do so. You Don't be shy. Don't be shy. She's a great person, as you, can, as you can see on YouTube and as you can hear everywhere else and here on YouTube <laughs> as well, but you know, don't be yeah. shy. So Christine, uh, I've loved our conversation. I'm so happy Me that too. you, that you, so you took the time to, to talk with us. I've got one last question for you before I let you go. Okay, tonight. Go ahead. So, yep. and it's actually for the people that are listening to us. So Christine, if you had one wish, you know, based on the conversation we had in the book, if you had one wish for the people listening to us uh, right now at this moment, what would that wish be? Oh my God. If I had one wish for people, um, is that they were comfortable being themselves um, all the time um, because we can't help kids if we're not comfortable with who we are. So I know that this book for me has been uh, really about sharing aspects of my story where I, mm. I kind of was like, yeah, this is who I am and I'm finally comfortable with it. Uh, Beautiful. And I, I, you know, yeah, I think that that's, that's what I wish for everybody um, for themselves and, you know, for their students. That's great, Christine. Thanks. And you know, if you haven't had a, Thank you. if you did not get a copy of your book, get on Amazon. It's available everywhere. So Disruptive Status Quo, I will link it also to uh, the show notes. So you'll be able to click it there as well to be able Absolutely. to, you know, get a copy and, and get to reading the book. So Christine, thank you so much. Hockey mom, I know you're thank busy. You. So, yes. and, and, you know, VP as well. So I really appreciate it. I I'm so happy I met with you and I talked with you. You're a, you're a fantastic person. Uh, I Thank loved you. connecting with you. you I think well. we've got a lot of similarities and, and you know, with the families <laughs> yeah, and the do. sports and stuff. So it was great talking to you and looking forward to, you know, part five. We talked about that, which yeah, was the last too. part of the series to get all the authors together, uh, together. That's my French coming out it. there together. That's yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to be able to talk one last time. So Christine, thanks again for being here on the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate you, you and uh, you were great. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Take care. Hi there, it's Joel. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and that you were able to find many useful takeaways. Adding value to others is one of the most important actions a leader can take. So please share this episode with your friends and colleagues and on social media. Let's reach out to as many people as we can. Want to connect with me? Well, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or you can visit my website, inspireleadership.ca. If you'd rather send me an email, my address is joel, that's J-O-E-L, at inspireleadership.ca. Take care, everybody, and now go get your leadership on.